In the U.S., one in six couples between the ages of 18 and 35 struggles with fertility or technically struggles with infertility. I just hate using the word infertility. Mm -hmm. uh, one in six between the age of 18 and 35. So we're not even looking at all the women that are choosing to wait till over 35, mm -hmm. right? This is just the reproductive age group. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 156. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, welcome, veggie lovers, to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Today, we are going to talk about fertility and the Fertile Foundations lifestyle as presented by Dr. Omatma Shah. It's very interesting. I think that you will find a lot of use in it. And you can also check out her Instagram and her website for even further information. Before I tell you more about Dr. Omatma, I wanted to give a shout out to DNV, who left me a five-star Amazon review on my book entitled Teach Kids Healthy Relationship with Food and Self. DNV says, I have gotten about two thirds of the way through this book, but could not wait to write a review. I am a fellow physician and a mom who grew up with an unhealthy diet and struggled to have a good relationship with food myself that I want very badly not to pass along to my daughter. I have volunteered at a childhood obesity research labs and read a lot. I have read about intuitive eating, baby led weaning, and just a myriad of nutrition books. What I appreciate about this book is that Dr. Yami has read all of the books, been through all of the struggles and has integrated the knowledge and experience to make sense of it all. How to introduce healthy foods, how to deal with an obesogenic environment while developing a healthy relationship with food and fostering body acceptance. A must read. Thank you so much, DNV. I really appreciate that review and the warm words. And I'm glad that you felt that way because I think what's really awesome about each individual taking time to express things in their own words is that it's going to be unique from each person because we are able to integrate all of our experiences, our knowledge, the time that we've spent, the struggles that we've had. So if you're one of those people out there that you know you have a book in you or you wanna start a podcast or you want to start a YouTube channel because you are passionate about a topic, don't wait any longer. Please just do it. You will find your tribe. You will have your group. You will continue to evolve. Don't think you have to be perfect. I am absolutely not perfect. I'm still learning and growing every single day. Thank goodness. But just do it. Just start. A reminder that the information on this podcast is for information on educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a doctor. So Dr. Omatma Shah is a board-certified naturopathic endocrinologist in practice for close to 15 years. She specializes in fertility and is the best-selling author of Fertility Secrets, What Your Doctor Didn't Tell You About Baby Making. Dr. Omatma was awarded the Best Naturopathic Medicine Doctor Award locally in 2015 and 2020 and recognized as a top women in medicine doctor in 2020. In addition to supporting couples through individualized care in person and long distance. She also trains practitioners who want to specialize in fertility. Dr. Omatma has been featured on ABC, Fox, CBS, KTLA, Mind Body Green, The Bump, and more, along with being interviewed for countless podcasts on topics of fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum health. 
So in this podcast episode, obviously we talk about her fertility journey. It's a very interesting story actually. What the current state of infertility is in the United States, how our diet and lifestyle affects fertility and what are the major factors that are important to address, how early women should start to think about fertility and what are the main things that couples can do as they wait to undergo a fertility evaluation. So there's lots of little nuggets and pearls. So if you are in that category that you're starting to think about having a baby or having another baby and you're concerned about your fertility, definitely take a listen. Veggie lovers, thank you so much for being here. If this is your first time, welcome. I really hope that you enjoy this podcast. And for all of you that keep coming back, thank you. I love you so much. Now let's listen to this conversation between me and Dr. Omatma Shah. Dr. Omatma Shah, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Yami. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, this is going to be fun because uh, I don't think I've really talked about fertility on the show before. And I know that this is a very relevant topic to many couples, something that impacts their lives so strongly, so memorably. So I really want to talk about it. But let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your journey, how you ended up specializing in fertility and all of that. Yeah, you know, I actually started out as a general practitioner of primary care. Uh, and I practice in California where uh, naturopathic doctors are primary care doctors. So I was seeing everything, mostly women, but everything. Uh, and it was about four or five years into my um, being in clinic that I was going through some own um, some of my own questions around fertility. I was married to this partner that I wasn't really sure I wanted to have babies with him. And um, I was coming to that realization. I was in my very early 30s and and just really trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do if I didn't have kids with him. <laughs> so it was a lot of like, egg freezing, does it work? Should I spend the money on that? Should I like try to figure out if I can do this on my own later? And and like really the only thing that was going on in my head at the time was I was taught in school that our fertility declines at 35. So that was a big driver in this anxiety of what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, and I started digging into the research and I actually came out with the conclusion that maybe our, our fertility declines at 35, but not as much as we're made to believe. And if that's the case, then I was willing to take the chance to find the right person and have a baby with the right partner. Um, so I decided to leave the partner that I was with. I luckily found the love of my life very soon after. And um, and then we waited. We actually waited like five or six years into our relationship to have a baby. Um, wow. So even though I was with the right partner, it still wasn't feeling like the right timing until we decided that it was the right time. And me being who I am, I had what I was learning through the research was just a lot of misconceptions around fertility. So I started sharing them and I've always... I've I've been blessed to have a lot of uh, practitioners reaching out to me for podcast interviews. So I would share what I was researching on my podcast interviews. And and then women would call me after and like, hey, I heard you on this podcast. You can help me with my fertility. And I was like, oh, no, it's all just theoretical. Um, and 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 then there were enough women that I was like, OK, this is getting serious. Like, I need to figure out how I'm going to support all of these women that keep calling. And I ended up, um, I ended up just like finally saying, okay, if this is what I'm meant to do, universe, show me. <laughs> and that week, three women called. Um, the first two, I was like, no, I'm still not so sure about this. And then the third one, I was like, okay, I guess three is definitely a sign <laughs> and I need to take that sign. So I told her, listen, I've never actually successfully helped anyone with fertility. I have a lot of theories about it and I've done a ton of research, but it's all just theory and research. And 
I would really feel better if you like go and meditate on it or think about it and feel into your intuition and see if I'm actually the right person for you to work with. And if I am, call me on Monday morning. And it was Friday afternoon. She calls me Monday morning and she was like, you're the weirdest doctor I have ever met. (laughs) But you told me the truth and my intuition is really clear. I need to work with you and you're going to help me have a baby. And three months later, she got pregnant and had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that was my first. And then really, since then, it it has just been a steady flow of women that find me. I honestly don't know how or where because we don't do advertising. Um, But they come and it is it has become my a joy and and I feel like it's such a, a blessing to be part of people's journeys in this like really crucial time that I really just fell in love with fertility and doing this work and um feel like you know I get excited every day to be supporting the women and couples that we support. Wow, what a story. I want to go back to the beginning though. You know, I I'm just amazed at your candor. So you're with a partner and you're thinking, well, I would like to have babies eventually, but I don't think I want to have babies with this person. At the time, did you ever consider just going ahead and having babies because you had that idea that your chance may be up soon? Yeah. And- then just end up having babies with somebody that you didn't think you wanted to have babies with? Yeah, I totally did. I I I thought about it really long and hard. And I kind of weighed out like, would it be more heartbreaking to have a child with the wrong person and then like do the co-parenting thing and you're tied with this man for the rest of your life that you don't necessarily aren't even sure that you like, which is my my story at the time. And then or would it be more heartbreaking to not ever have a child if I'm taking the risk of like going out on my own and hoping for the best? And I I ended up with, you know, I would rather prioritize the the child, my future child, the life that that child would have if we were in a scenario where we knew we weren't meant to be together, yet we have this child. So we were like trying to shuffle between two households and all of the things that come out of that, especially since I felt like, man, I'm in this really blessed position to know that I really don't want to be connected to this person for the rest of my life. Um, For people that have children and then, you know, whatever happens, happens, it's okay. But I think that when you start out already aware that this is the wrong person, like my thought was it would be more of a heartbreak to have this child feel torn between two parents who don't necessarily want to be together and don't love each other. And yeah, you know, why, why put someone through that? Well, the reason I even ask is because I imagine that this has happened other times, like to other people and probably a lot. You, people yeah. find themselves in relationships and then they're like, actually, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that was the best decision, but I'm getting older and I really right. want kids. I've always wanted kids. This is my dream. So you had to take a leap of faith and be like, okay, I hope the best happens, but this is not the way I want to do it. So thank goodness it worked out for you. So whenever you found your next partner, I'm assuming your now husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have trouble conceiving or did things work pretty smoothly for y'all? It it actually worked pretty smoothly, but there were a few things that I had already be- put into place well before we got to that point. So for as soon as I had started researching all the fertility stuff, I was like, okay, there's a lot natural medicine has to offer for fertility. And I started living what I call the fertile foundations lifestyle, which is Mm. all of the different components that I think are crucial to supporting our fertility for longer. That doesn't mean I'm anti-egg freezing. If you feel like you want to freeze your eggs, sure, go for it. But even if I had frozen my eggs, I would still do all of the things that I did. I it, There wouldn't have been a difference. I would still live the fertile lifestyle because I believe that 
it is crucial to not only freeze our eggs, but also have good, healthy uterus to be able to uh, sustain a pregnancy to term. So I knew that going in and for the five or six years that I was with my current partner and we were waiting and not ready for that yet, um, I was doing all of those things. And then actually the year that uh, he got ready more sooner than I did, actually. <laughs> uh, and he was like, let's do this. And I was like, I'm not ready. No, thanks. Um, and in that year, I actually started feeling a lot of like health issues that like my stomach went out of whack, my adrenals were stressed out, burnt out. Um, so I had a lot of my own work to do on myself. And I took a year before before I actually got to that point of like, okay, I'm ready now. It was almost like eight, nine, 10 months that I was working on my own stuff, doing all of the treatments that we put our couples through. So I was like my own patient to a certain extent, I would go into the office and do the, we have this laser that I use in the office on different acupoints. So I was doing all of that for a year. And then um, there was a moment the the conception day, I call it, which was essentially like a really bizarre moment of my partner saying, hey, are you ready now? And me like intuitively just being like, yes, I'm ready. And that was the moment that it happened. That is <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. But I love how patient and diligent you are. Wow. I, you just have this ability to just be like, Hey, not yet. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to get ready because I feel like when it comes to making babies for people that do plan it ahead, it's not always planned. There is this like, okay, let's do it now. You know, it's like just run to get it done as fast as possible. And there's always that fear in the back of your head that if you don't start as soon as possible, you're going to miss the opportunity. So that's really cool how you were able to step back and be like, no, I have these issues. I want to work through them. Tell me yeah. a little bit more about this fertile foundations lifestyle. Sounds amazing. <laughs> so there are several components that I think are essential to fertile foundations lifestyle. One is sleep, um, water intake, food, good, healthy, nutritious food, um, and and then like supplements and general lifestyle things. And in the general lifestyle things, I put in like, should we drink coffee? Should we drink alcohol? Should we consume cannabis? You know, like all of the questions that I feel like a lot of people are having that you want to know whether or not the things that you're doing now are going to impact your fertility five years from now, uh, then those are things to consider. And that doesn't necessarily always mean like, no, you can't drink your coffee anymore. But really looking at like, what what does drinking coffee do to your body and how is it going to affect you? And is that something that you want to have happen? Mm -hmm. And for me, like, I generally don't drink coffee. I drink it on occasion. Uh, but I'm not the person that wakes up in the morning and needs coffee to get going. Uh, I do need tea to get going. So let's be real. <laughs> um, but I, I find that the people that need the coffee the most, like, you know, you're like dragging and you can't get out of bed and you're like, oh, I can't function without my cup of coffee in the morning. Those are people that really should not be drinking coffee. So it's essentially like going through step by step and really looking at each portion of our life and evaluating it and saying, here's the best decision that I can make about this thing so that I can positively impact my fertility, whether it's for next year, two years from now, five years from now, it works regardless. Uh, and then the other thing that I was just talking to someone about yesterday, which is like the number of times that we are exposing ourselves to different toxins in the environment, in our home, we're breathing it in, we're eating it, we're putting it on our skin. Those are all things that 
should be known to be reproductive toxins. They should all come with these like bright red labels that say this is a reproductive, this has a reproductive toxin in it. Please consume with care at the minimum, but we don't do that in our society. So those are all the things that I I believe that we as as women and future mothers, whenever we decide we want to be become a mother, if we decide that, those are all things that are uh, good to start avoiding now. So um, really going through step by step and clearing out the components of your home that have these toxins, the pans that you're cooking your food in that also is introducing these toxins, and really making it so that your lifestyle is not being detrimental to your fertility. You're not like hitting it again and again and again, even if it's in small um, incremental doses that we hit against our fertility. That's still you do that for five years. That's going to add up. Um, so the the faster that we can have that awareness and we share like a lot, so much of what we share is just like information like everyone have this you know um because i don't i don't really care if you don't want to work with us i don't really care um we're still going to share this information because i feel like there aren't a lot of other places to get this information and that's the like i just want to help empower women and have us be able to walk into motherhood when we're ready to and not feel like we're being forced into it by anybody. Yes. Uh, that's a great point, which leads me to the next question, because I feel like there's like a million fertility specialists and mainly these are people that are doing the procedures. They're doing the IVF and the different fertility procedures, but there's not very much information on things that you can do on your own, like optimizing your diet and lifestyle and what other choices you have. So I do feel like there's a gap there because nobody talks about it, but I wonder if part of it is because there is this belief that it doesn't matter that much. Do you feel like there are other experts that feel like, well, it's not, it's all genetic or it's all age? Because what you said earlier is that age doesn't have as strong an impact as we are led to believe, at least not at 35. Yeah. So I guess yeah. first put me, put us in the current state here in, <laughs> in our country. What, well, what's the state of infertility yeah. How many couples are struggling? And then, so, and then explain to me more about this age myth. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover. If you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. In the U.S., there are one in six couples between the ages of 18 and 35 struggles with fertility or technically struggles with infertility. I just hate using the word infertility. Mm -hmm. um, so they uh, one in six between the age of 18 and 35. So we're not even looking at all the women that are choosing to wait till over 35. Mm -hmm. Right. This is just the reproductive age group. Uh, outside of that, the commonly accepted belief is that our fertility drops off of a cliff at 35. And that is based on research that came out in the 1800s from France. So why are we using research based in the 1800s to drive women into fertility clinics so that they can get these procedures as quickly as possible over the age of 35? And what you'll find is that there is a drop even in fertility clinic treatments. So 
as a woman ages, there's a lot of data about what's happening with IVF cycles. So between 35 and 37, their success rates are usually about 35%. They, by the time you get to 37, 39, something like that, the, the drop-off is down to like probably about 20%. And then over 40, we're looking at abysmal success rates, like two to 4%, something like that. Um, So there is a legitimate concern when it comes to IVF cycles. But then we transpose that with I just needed some hope. So I literally like pulled out every book that I could possibly think of. And the one book that really transformed and inspired me was um, Dr. Christian Northrup has a book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. It's Mm -hmm. this like really fat Bible for women's health. And this book, I'd probably like picked it up while I was in medical school. I hadn't read it a whole lot. I flipped to the fertility chapter and she talks about women in different parts of the world that consistently, like regularly, were having babies at 60. And I'm not one that I, I do not want to have a baby. At I 16, don't want to sign up for no that one. Sorry. That. No, no, definitely not. But it did expand my consciousness to say, well, if there are women who are doing this at 60, then what are we doing that is so detrimental to our fertility? And then you start like, as soon as you get that mind shift, then you can be like, oh, all the toxins we're exposed to, the busyness of our lives, the stress in our lives. The fact that we don't meditate, the fact that we don't exercise, the fact that we eat crappy food, like you can go through every part of your life and be like, yeah, they're doing it way better. And when they're doing it way better, they're able to expand their reproduction out into the 60s. So that really gave me the the opening or the possibility that something else could be different. And and then we get to my actual patients. Once I started working with them for fertility, I found that we had we had we've had plenty of 40 plus year olds get pregnant also on their first tries or second tries at the most. Uh, And what we do is the same process, but more intensely, because what we What we know for a fact is that if people weren't living the Fertile Foundation's lifestyle, then surely there's a decline in the quality of eggs and the quality of sperm at the minimum. So we need to do whatever we can to optimize the quality of egg and sperm before we give them the go ahead to start trying to get pregnant. And if we're able to do that successfully, And then there are other factors like, let's make sure your hormones are optimal. Let's make sure that your body is as rejuvenated as possible and all of those types of things. But if all of those things have clicked into place, we find that it's not that much different for a 40-year-old or 45-year-old to get pregnant than it is for a 35-year-old or a 25-year-old for that matter. Um, So age becomes... Age is somewhat relevant, but the fact that a lot of what we tell women and what we're basing it on is like such old research. Mm -hmm. And there is there's a little bit of new research. The newer research shows and these are like smaller scale studies, which is why we won't see a lot of traction with. Uh, reproductive endocrinology doctors because they're like, well, that was only a few hundred people, but the 1800 studies had thousands of people in it. It's like, okay, but it's still the 1800s. Um, You might want to pay attention to the more relevant stuff, but that's just me. Um, The more, the newer data shows that age groups of 25 to 29 versus 35 to 39, there's only a 3% decline between uh, those age groups for fertility outcomes. So from that, you can really walk away with like, maybe there's more to it than just our age, which I definitely believe. And there's definitely things that we can do, things that are in our power that we can be affecting and transforming 
well before we're ready to get pregnant, as well as um, really focusing in on egg quality and hormone balance before we're trying to conceive if we are wanting to have a baby soon. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And when I was reading it on your Instagram, when you posted about that, it was a light bulb moment for me because I think we just take it for granted what we hear, you know, like the older you get, the the less chances you have. But the way that you're explaining it to me, the way it makes sense is maybe it's not age per se, but the older you are, the more years you've had exposure to your diet and lifestyle choices. So it's like this cumulative effect. But what you're saying is that even if you've had this exposure, there's still hope because if Mm -hmm. you start that fertile foundations lifestyle, you can get your reproductive system, your hormones, everything back in balance and healthy so that you can be in a more optimum state for fertility. Is that sound right? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So then why do you think that there's not more reproductive endocrinologists, more of these fertility specialists that talk about these things? Is it just because the knowledge is hard to get? Or like you said, these small little studies, because I feel like they never talk about it. Yeah, I feel like um, it takes it takes a lot to change what's commonly accepted as science, mm-hmm. right? Like, we see that in so many different areas and arenas. It took like, 40 years for people to accept that low fat food wasn't going to make you less fat, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It was, it just is, the research is happening and these studies come out, more studies come out, more people keep doing this research. And then finally something clicks and a new generation of doctors actually starts spouting different things. But I think that because we're so entrenched in in the western medicine approach it's it's hard for us to like filter through that and say is there anyone saying something different is mm-hmm. there actually evidence for something different and that's why i am so out there talking about this stuff because I feel like women should have choices, not that reproductive endocrinology is wrong, but hey, if you are willing to take the steps before you get to even your fertility clinic, these steps are going to support you to have a more optimal IVF cycle on the first time rather than six rounds of IVF, which is what most fertility clinic success rates are based on. So... It, it's, it really is like having that conversation and having that empowerment really is left to us and our own devices to say, hey, I need to go educate myself now because my doctors are maybe not as aware of all of the things that are coming out. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, like even there are doctors that are against natural medicine. They're like, oh, no, diet doesn't matter. <laughs> Like in which world has diet ever not mattered? <laughs> you know, exactly. like in it, we can talk about any any condition, diet makes a difference. So we really need to find doctors or practitioners or educators that are going to give us information in a way that makes sense, in a way that's applicable. And and then we as consumers or as women need to be saying, great, I learned these things. I'm actually going to go live it. And not that I learned it and it's in my head, but I'm actually going to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night rather than staying up till one in the morning every night, whatever that is for people. So um, really learning is important and then doing is the most important yes (laughs) because we can learn all day and definitely not apply it either because we have this paralysis or we just feel like we just have to keep reading and reading and reading and reading before we take action Mm -hmm. okay great how early should women start to think about their fertility and their diet and lifestyle factors that affect it and now for a very important message Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough, 
or eating enough vegetables. Afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet? I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. As soon as they realize they want to have a child. <laughs> so it, it not every woman gets there at the same place or at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, if you ask me in my teens and 20s, I was like, no way, I don't want anything to do with kids. And then suddenly this shift happened and I was like, whoa, I actually do want to have a child. Um, but it really is like whenever you feel like, hey, something's clicked into place, I want to have a child, I'm going to start making fertile choices that lead to preserving or ensuring that I'll be able to have that child when I'm ready mm -hmm. is perfectly acceptable. And I feel like there are a lot of young women that start with this awareness, you know, like, I feel like I had friends that in my teens, 15, 16, 18, that were like, Oh, I want to have like three kids. And, uh, and I was just like, Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Awesome for you. Um, but I think that if they if you knew that early that you want to have children, you might even make different choices about birth control. Yeah. Um, so really having the foundation of, hey, this is my, like, I'm aware that this is a desire that I have, and it's going to be maybe not now, but for some time in the future, then really like structuring our lives in a way that are fertility friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are choices that we're making every single day that are either pro fertility or anti fertility. And if we can make those choices better, we're going to be in a better place when we are ready to have that child. Yeah. And those little choices every day, it ends up being a big investment in that future decision. So yeah, I agree. The earlier, the better. And as a pediatrician, so what I do all the time is to help instill these habits and behaviors that set children up for success for a long time, you know? So it starts early. Yes. So a lot of couples um, get referred to the fertility specialist. You know, they know that they have to go there. There's probably people listening now that have already been or know that they have to go. What would you recommend that they do as they wait to undergo fertility evaluations? Yeah, that's a great question. So most fertility evaluations start at the point where you have tried for a certain amount of time on your own to conceive. And for women under 35, that time is 12 months, an entire year of having sex when you think you're ovulating, regularly having sex, not getting pregnant. And that actually triggers the fertility evaluations. And then you have 
uh, women over 35 that are six months of trying, but at that point, your anxiety is so high, mm. like six months of trying is a long time. So in either scenario, I feel like the amount that you're expected to try is a lot higher than like most of what women feel comfortable with. So whether you're under 35 and you've been trying even for six months and you're like, oh my God, my anxiety is just getting worse and worse and worse every time I try and not get pregnant, I'm feeling like I'm failing. Um, and then over 35, it's like, oh my God, do I have to wait six months? Like, do I have six months to wait? So it's really like, I'm a proponent of getting your own evaluation if your OBGYN doesn't want to order the test for you or isn't able to, whatever. Uh, do your own evaluation. Uh, there are lots of um, at-home testing kits, essentially, that can mail you a little box to your house. You do a finger stick, which is you know, like a blood sugar kind of test, um, dot, dot the little circles, send it back, and they will evaluate your hormones for like $150. So often, so often we're waiting for our OBGYN to take action or, hey, that's not covered by my insurance, so I'm going to wait and wait and wait. Whereas I feel like if we know in advance, if we know like right from the get-go, the minute I decide I want to have a baby and I know go and do this kit and hey, I'm not getting pregnant, I'm going to figure out what my hormones look like, the kit comes back and says, hey, your estrogen is a little high. Guess what? You don't, you just saved yourself eight to 10 months of trying. And instead you can focus that energy on lowering your estrogen levels. Mm -hmm. So Really trying to get this information sooner gives the ability to be able to um, have access to care, make and again, make different choices that may lead to faster success rather than not. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And obviously, the fertile foundations lifestyle, right? So that's something that anybody can start right away, start optimizing their sleep and their stress and their diet and, and all of that. That's great. Yes. What do you wish more women knew about fertility? Um, I, uh, we've talked about so much of it. I feel like if women just knew that they, they are in control of their body and they have deeper intuition and awareness about their fertility than doctors are willing to acknowledge you about. Um, I feel like, you know, the number of times women are like, oh, I took this supplement and I didn't really feel good. And I'm like, okay, let's throw that away. And they're like, what, really? Shouldn't I just try it for longer? And I'm like, absolutely not. You said you felt like crap. Um, so it's it's really like having the partner, the partnership from a practitioner or even just that awareness in your own body, like, hey, something's not right. Follow that intuition. Don't wait. And if you don't have someone that's willing to say, well, everything looks fine on your hormones, <laughs> you're fine. Find someone else. If you're like, hey, something's out of whack, I need to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. Find someone who's willing to work with you to figure out what it is that your intuition is telling you. Awesome. I love that. Well, I want to know a little bit more about you. I ask all my first time guests what personal habit they are most proud of and why. <laughs> um, I... I would say probably sleep is my biggest personal habit because it tends to be, I tend to be a night night owl. I have always been a night owl. I, I can't remember <laughs> in my teens, I used to go to bed at like four in the morning. <laughs> so <laughs> for decades, I have been the person that cannot get to bed early enough and um, it since I started the Fertile Foundations lifestyle for myself, it's been a more intentional thing of like, mm -hmm. let's move the sleep time sooner and sooner and sooner and make sure that I'm really prioritizing my sleep uh, has been a big component of um, just need it, what I need and what I know I need. <laughs> uh, yeah. But 
actually doing it and like being accountable to myself to continue that practice no matter what. What do you think have been the most effective strategies for you to get yourself to bed earlier? See, this is hard for me to identify with because I love, as like I'll even say like, it'll be Friday night and I'll be like, let's stay up and watch a movie. And then everybody knows, they look at me like, okay, mommy. Like by 9 p.m. I'm just like, ah, I think I'm going to bed because <laughs> I get sleepy and my body's just like, go to sleep. I have zero motivation to do anything else. So it's different from my personality. So I'm always fascinated by people that love to stay up late. So it sounds like it was probably pretty difficult for you. So what were the strategies that you feel like really helped you get to bed early? There are a few. I think that as I, I kind of think of it as like biohacking in a way, because I realized that part of my inability to fall asleep was the fact that I had a screen in front of me mm -hmm. that's giving off these blue light signals that rewire my brain to not be able to sleep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And they also rewire your brain to not have the right cortisol awakening response in the morning. It's called CAR. There's a test that you can do for it. Um, but if you don't get this cortisol awakening in the first 30 minutes of waking, you're going to go through that whole day feeling exhausted. Mm -hmm. And this blue light switches between lowering your melatonin production and lowering your cortisol awakening response. So you get this do double whammy. Not only could you not sleep well, you also didn't wake up with energy. Um, so it's been a like a good transformation of putting on the blue light glasses mm -hmm. if I'm going to be working late or if I need to be in front of a screen, like just having blue light filters makes a difference to be able to not have the blue light rewiring my brain. Yeah. Um, so that's been a game changer. The other piece is realizing that now that I have a child, I don't have the ability to sleep till 10 in the morning. <laughs> um, you have a natural up. alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. So really like, uh, like moving backwards and it's, he's somewhat unpredictable. Sometimes he'll sleep until nine and sometimes he's up at seven. So it's it, like somewhere in there, I know he's going to wake up and I need to be at least having eight hours by 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. So that means bedtime needs to be latest at 11. Um, and it, it's, it's really like between the blue light and the other part that keeps me awake a lot is I'm a creative that has the best ideas at night. Mm -hmm. So my brain is like going, going. Um, Sunday night, I stayed up till like 1130 because I was on my phone, like typing all these ideas that I had for this week. I was like, oh, my God, I have to like write it all <laughs> down before I forget. So um, really like being able to either have the ideas, write it down or make myself an audio note or something that I can transcribe later has really helped to calm my brain down and turn turn it off so that I can like relax and go to bed. I love it. Um, so those are the things that have helped. It's it's never been like, hey, I don't like sleep. I actually love to sleep. <laughs> I just love to sleep at a different time. Yeah, just like to <laughs> shift your entire schedule. <laughs> have you read the book, The Circadian Code? No, I haven't. So you uh, basically just reiterated one of the things that I say a lot, which is one of the discoveries that they made that people that describe themselves as night owls, it's not that they actually stay up later naturally. It is that they are more sensitive to blue light. So they are just mm -hmm. more affected by blue light. And you discovered that yourself oh, already. Um, so you knew oh. that this is keeping me awake. It's keeping me stimulated. It's easy for me to stay up till four when I have screens in my eyes, when I have the lights on. And then with the blue light blockers, you found that that helped. I've been um, recommending it to my patients as well that have, you know, especially teens, they naturally shift a little bit. But then there are these these kids that come in that say that they're night owls, they want to stay up late. So I've been recommending them to start using some blue light blockers, especially right now, because they're on computers all day long, you know, the poor all things. All day long. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, Dr. Omatma, this has been so great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your expertise and all this great information. Where can my listeners connect with you? And please tell us about any products or services that you offer. Okay, sure. So if you go to uh, Instagram at holistic underscore fertility underscore expert, that's a really great place to connect. Um, and you in my link tree, there's actually a bunch of links to download free resources. So I have a lab test cheat sheet. So you can order your own labs like I talked about, and then be able to interpret them and understand those results and really get like, is this something I should be concerned about or not? Um, you can do that for yourself. There is um there's a link to Modern Fertility that is one of the places that we send people for the lab testing. Just a lot of resources. There's a Divas Detox Guide, which is the clean up your home and really like address all of the toxins in our environment. Um, so those are all resources that are on there. There is the possibility if you want, if you're like, hey, I think I want the support now. Uh, we have something called the Fertility Insight Session. It's a $1 session for an hour with one of my coaches who will sit down and kind of talk about your hormone results and help you kind of navigate whether or not it's even necessary for you to be worrying about this right now. And to if if there is some work to do, here's how we can support you. So that's a good initial starting point to get access to our services as well. Wow. So an hour consult for only a dollar? Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I can't imagine that a lot of people wouldn't take advantage of that. So that's really great. <laughs> yes, and you have a yes. book as well, correct? I do. I do. Yes. It's called... Let me actually show it to you. It's called Fertility Secrets, What Your Doctor Didn't Tell You About Baby Making. Awesome. Um, this one released in 2017. I actually have a new book that's coming out called Infertility. So in parentheses, fertility. Mm. Um, and then I think the subtitle is Story, Successes, and Something. Um, and it's a collaborative book with a bunch of authors. Oh, so fun. I'm really excited about that one. And if you're following me on Instagram, you'll definitely see uh, where to access it. We'll have some like pre-release discounts and stuff like that. So Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Well, this has been fantastic. If you could please leave us with one call to action, what is one thing that we can do this week to improve our well-being? Ah, uh, get some sleep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, no, I, I feel like uh, we didn't actually touch on it, but the science between sleep and egg quality in particular is really high. Mm -hmm. So melatonin internally produced, you can external supplementation is also okay. But internally produced melatonin has the most beneficial effect on the quality of eggs. So when it comes to fertility, like that's one of the biggest bang for your buck that doesn't cost anything mm -hmm. is get more sleep. Yes. Oh, I love it. That definitely speaks to my lifestyle medicine doctor heart there. So important. Dr. Omatma, thank you so much for joining me today on Veggie Doctor Radio. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Yami. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.